Hey guys, welcome back to Couple Goals with us and I'm. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, love. How are you? I'm doing well. You are doing well. So what's new? Not much. We got to come up with a real. <laughs> We've been talking about this for like two years now, but a real way to open our show. I d- somewhat I, I consistently. Did. I, d- I say, I say, hey guys, welcome back to Couple Goals with us and I'm. But that's only the first two seconds or so. And then after that, we just yeah, fall off a cliff. To, no, it's supposed to go to you and you drop the ball. Oh, it's my fault. Couple goals. Do you have any suggestions then? Yeah, you're supposed to say stuff. That's like my what? suggestion. Where would I go? What would you suggest? I suggest doing a bit. You want me to start doing bits? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't think you do. You're right. I really don't. I don't want that at all. I found a fun news story. Yeah? Yeah. Found this All right. Well, before we get started on all of that, I do want to tell our listeners some exciting news. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I want to do it. Okay. (laughs) I've been wanting to say this for so long. Okay. And that is, we're going to get to the show, but first... We got to get some advertising out of the way. So, okay. Yeah, I got I got to say that. I've been wanting to say that. So we got to get some advertising out of the way first. Is that is, is that what you've been wanting to say? Yes. So we're good. We'll get back to the show, but first, let's go ahead and get some advertisements done. <laughs> so we are working with Zenny Optical. Yes. And Zenny strives to empower people around the world with affordable and stylish eyewear. So they love supporting strong women, and that is why they reached out to me. And they have sent us and our family some free glasses. Sean and I are both wearing some right now. And they are fantastic. I've worn Zenny for... We've been, what's cool about this is we've actually been buying glasses from Zenny for about three years or longer. Over three years. It actually showed up in my feed a couple days ago. When I did my first Zenny order, but Logan was our first ever Zenny wearer in the family. And because he has such a strong, well, he doesn't have a strong prescription, but he has like a whatever that's called stigmatism. Yeah. So he has like a weird prescription and he was the first one to ever get them. And they're they're very inexpensive, but they're 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 really affordable. Good quality. And they're fantastic quality. And I own... Because they're so inexpensive, you, you can you get... You get a bunch. Right. Instead of spending $200 or more on a pair of glasses... Right, a single pair. You For you 200 bucks, you can literally get, like, like, 10 pair of glasses. Right. I would say, like, eight. But... Yeah. Depending on what add-ons depend, you want to yeah. get. But, yeah. But, yeah. It's it's ridiculous. It's good stuff. And, yeah, they, they have glasses for everybody. Kids, men, women... Not just strong women, weak women can get them. Everybody can Yeah, get if you're a mousy woman, you can also get it, and they will help empower you, I guess. <laughs> um, if you follow me on Instagram, you see all my pink glasses that I've been into recently. Those are all Zenny. I, Logan and <clears throat> Sean are wearing the same frames. I've never owned multiple pa- pairs of glasses at a time, other than like an old prescription maybe. Yeah. I have three pairs of glasses now, which is just crazy to me. Yeah. That's insane to me to own three pairs of glasses with my current prescription. I own two pair of prescription sunglasses, and you own a pair of prescription sunglasses. Oh, I, I have prescription sunglasses, too. Holy shit. I own two pair of prescription sunglasses and 14 pair of glasses. Holy so, shit. 
<laughs> that's that's a lot. But yes, any opticals, anyoptical.com. It's fantastic. We don't have a code you have to use. They don't do coupon codes. They will send you one for just signing up for their newsletter, but they're not a coupon code kind of place. They're so affordable that you don't really need one. And Zenny is Z-E-N-N-I. Optical.com. Yeah. All right. So. All right. Back to the show. After our sponsored ad. Yeah. Huh. Very cool. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm just going to call it a day. <laughs> that was very exciting for me. That was all four minutes. <laughs> yeah. They have sponsored content. It's fantastic. All right. I have a new story. It is from August 12th. It is from the Riverfront Times. Uh, Martin Cassis learned some terrible news of, uh, a week ago. His entire personal collection of 3,000 comic books had been stolen. Was it, was it to stop mass murders like you had a... Is, no, are they done now? That was a terrible comparison I made that oh, <laughs> doesn't okay. really make sense. Well, but I mean, that's what you told I, me. Well, what I was just no, no, no. I was explaining that. A couple uh, episodes back, Sean said that he would give up all his comics if, if they were stopped. danger. If they were in part responsible for mass shootings, oh, <laughs> which okay. they are not. Oh, well, I thought maybe <laughs> I just was comparing them to, to gun owners who are very passionate about their collection of guns. That's that's the comparison I was making. Something oh. you're passionate about that you enjoy but also you know i don't i don't want to get into political stuff though you're gonna drag me down (laughs) drag me down woman always with the political stuff with you all right that's me (laughs) all right uh thieves had clipped the lock on his storage unit at public storage off third street and hauled away 10 boxes of comics unnoticed holy Uh, shit uh that's why you don't keep your comics at fucking public storage uh right well that's what people use storage for, though. No. It's exactly what it's for. No, it's for <laughs> he like... He probably didn't have the space for them. It's, so it's put them for into like storage. the off-season clothing. It's not for... Oh, okay. I don't even know what that means. I wear the same clothes year-round. There's no such thing as off-season clothing. That's not a thing. I, I wear less shorts in the wintertime. That's about as far as it goes. You want me to put my shorts in there? <laughs> like, I, don't, <laughs> I don't understand You're that. You're like, sentence. here are three pairs of shorts. <laughs> yeah. Here's... Yeah. <laughs> Freed up all the space. Right, exactly. Here's the three pairs of shorts that I rotate around. One of them I sleep in. <laughs> That's it. That's what I got. All right. Uh, Cassis was with his daughter when he arrived to survey the loss. He tried to play it cool for her sake, but he was furious. I was boiling on the inside, seething, he says. His collection's value is more sentimental than financial, marking milestones of the past 30 years of his life. He had kept comics from the year his daughter was born and the year he was married. The book his stepmother gave him after his dad died had been in those boxes. Now they were all gone. Police were initially stumped. Cassis says they told him there had been a series of storage unit burglaries, <laughs> burglaries lately, but no one had been arrested. In his, like ca- in his case, he had rented the locker to clear some space while renovating his home and only learned after the theft that his unit was in a, a part of the facility that was not covered by surveillance cameras. Oh. Oof. Oh. Thieves left behind his old dresser and an exercise machine, of course. Uh, right. Well, that, could you imagine like being like, yeah, we just got to lift this giant thing and get it out of here? Well, they don't need the exercise machine. They're, they're fit as a fiddle. They're always robbing shit. So he was still hopeful about seeing his comics again. He, uh, he said his Dodge Caravan was stolen four times one summer, and it was recovered four times. <laughs> his house had also where been burglarized. I, I, where is this? Uh, what state is this? I don't even know. Is it, is it Detroit? Does he live in Detroit, Michigan? Riverfront Times. I don't know what state that's out of. That's like, that's a lot of robbing. It's on. It was on Third Street, so that should narrow it down. <laughs> we should be able to go from there and figure out where this is. Uh, 
Um, well, this might give you an idea. Uh, area code is 314 where he works. <sighs> <laughs> so you're going to do your detective work? Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, all right. Working St. in Louis, Missouri. Okay. Uh, working in Cass's favor was a relatively new business venture. More than a year ago, he opened Apotheosis Comics and Lounge, combination comic book store and bar. After the theft, Cass has told his staff that if anyone called with an offer to sell a collection, tell them he was definitely interested. Sure enough, a Chesterfield woman called within days of the storage locker burglary and asked if Apotheosis might want to buy a box of her comics. Encouraged by a store employee, she dropped off the box on Thursday for review and left her name and phone number. Cassis arrived shortly after she left to see what she had brought. As soon as he saw the box, he knew. He had written Cap on the side, designating it as a box of Captain America comics. Inside, he searched for one particular comic, the third installment of the Captain America True series. He'd gotten it years ago and knew his copy had a small red mark on the corner. Sure enough, there's the book, Cassis says. It's my box. So he calls the cops first and then the woman. She apparently had no idea she was trying to sell the comics back to their rightful owner. So Cassis played dumb. This is a great collection, he told her on the phone. You've got at least a couple hundred dollars in comics there. He arranged a meeting for 10 a.m. the next morning. Uh, but before he hung up, he asked if she might have any more, as he was interested in buying whatever he could for the shop. In fact, she said she had recently come into a lot of comics. Me and my boyfriend, we do storage units, she said. Uh, yeah, <laughs> sure do. <laughs> right, they do. They do some storage units. It was a long night for the comic book store owner. He quickly found Facebook pages for the woman and her boyfriend and discovered mountains of items for sale. It was the most, most random shit you've ever seen. Uh, there were used Jordans, tires on 20-inch rims, Louis Vuitton handbags, crystal candy dishes, and an antique cash register. Ooh. <laughs> Boyfriend, a 46-year-old ex-con who calls himself Wicked. Mm, he sounds fun. Posted a 300-piece toy car set for the low price of $350. Jesus. No low ballers. This is my first time selling Hot Wheels, he wrote. I know their value and priced well below it. Um... This is my first time selling? No, he said, uh, this isn't my first time selling oh, Hot Wheels. Oh, this isn't. Sorry. I was like, no low ballers. I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> Not the best sales technique I've heard. Uh, on Friday morning, Cassis and police from the department's burglar, burglar, what can I say? Burglary. <laughs> I burglary. <laughs> Unit arrived early at Apotheosis and waited for the woman to arrive. One officer hid upstairs while another ducked into the basement. Everyone was in place when the woman called to say she was having car trouble. Wouldn't be able to come until 2 p.m. Uh, Cassis tried to remain casual about it and told her to call when she was on her way so he could be sure he was there. Finally, that afternoon, she notified him she was heading his way. She'd be there in 45 minutes. Once again, police officers stationed upstairs and in the basement while Cassis manned the counter. Eventually, the door to the shop opened and in walked the woman while her boyfriend waited outside. I had to pretend I didn't know who this person was, even though I'd been obsessively looking at her Facebook page for the last <laughs> 24 hours, Cassis said. <laughs> right, though? Like, yeah, fucking nice. We're not fucking, you know, it's just like, <laughs> like, ah, uh, he asked about the other boxes of comics, but she said she wanted to see how this deal went before she committed to selling more. It's about this time that the officer sprang out of their hiding spots, guns drawn. Third Jesus. officer took the boyfriend into custody outside. A little unsure about what to do. Cass has ushered away incoming customers offering to buy drinks if they came back later. Cops set the woman at a table in the back of the shop, questioning her as a cardboard cut out of Batman glowered over the scene. <laughs> <laughs> Cassis said he felt a little bad for her and the boyfriend. What? Yeah. No one ever wakes up and says, I want to grow up and break into storage units. <laughs> he says. <laughs> <laughs> right, though? Uh, all right. Uh, eventually, one of them 
told the cops where they could find the rest of the stolen bounty. Uh, not only did they have the rest of his comics, but they also piles of items that detectives were able to identify from other burglary cases. Jesus. Uh, and yeah, that's pretty much the story though. But yeah, he got, he got his comics back, which is, which is cool. I thought it was a fun little story. Happy for that guy. That guy is fucking always getting his shit back. Yeah. He's like Jerry Seinfeld. He's like, everything always just works out for me. Everything <laughs> yeah. always evens out. Even Steven. Steven's out. Like that's, that's crazy. Yeah. Huh. All right. So do you want to get into some of the big news from this week? Like just in general? I think, uh, you know, you don't, you don't know. Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. Do you want to get into that? No. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I'm guessing listener might. Some listeners might. Some might be rolling their eyes. Turning no on listeners a different want to talk about this. Yeah. A lot of listeners do. No. Lots nobody wants to. I could start naming them. No. Listeners that want to hear this nonsense. All right. So for those of you who do not know, the Sony and Disney deal to share the cinematic rights to Spider-Man has ended. Uh, they had a five. Bum, bum, bum. They had a five picture deal and the fifth movie was Spider-Man Far From Home. And then, it, you know, then it was back to negotiating. And from what I understand, Disney came out strong in, the, in their negotiations they said they wanted 50 percent, which doesn't sound unreasonable considering that base they've made the highest grossing spider-man movies pretty much except oh i think i think spider-man 3 actually made a little bit more than homecoming but now Wait. yeah spider-man 3 yeah spider-man 3 was huge spider-man spider-man yep. 3 with emo and it would have been way bigger if it was a better movie, but that's what happens typically as movies. Evil McGuire. Yeah, because it was the third like, in trilogy. Hey, it was it was gaining more. Kind of like the Avengers movies. How give me some milk to the go newest Avengers cookies. movie is the highest grossing one out of all of them. It just builds and builds. People want to see where the story goes. Give me some milk to go with my cookies, guy. Yeah, the uh, the emo Spider Man. So I'm sorry, Topher Grace with his teeth that. That was we we are not trying to relive Spider-Man three. I don't know why you're trying to pour salt in this wound. Because that's not what this is all about. I did not bring it up. Yes, you did. <laughs> no, I just I was just pointing out that Far From Home or no, that Homecoming made slightly less by about ten million dollars or something. By Spider-Man three. Okay, so you brought it up again. So you want to talk about <laughs> Topher Grace? I do not. I'm going to ignore all your Spider-Man three talk, and we are going to talk about the fact that Disney came in said we want fifty percent. And Sony, instead of counter offering, man, instead of counter offering, they just said no. And that was the end of the negotiations. They didn't they have a counter offer. They just said, nope, we're taking our Spider-Man and going home. So let's talk about the ramifications. Like, what you going to do? And the fallout from this. So there's a lot to dissect and unpack here. So I don't think so. Yeah. Uh. All right, so the Peter Parker Spider-Man that we know, Tom Holland, he is committed to doing two more movies as Spider-Man, so those will be under the Sony umbrella. They will not be in the Marvel Universe proper. However, there is no reason that they cannot follow the thread at the end of Far From Home, where, with spoilers, Spider-Man Far From Home, in the credits scene... His identity is revealed. And now, so all the super criminals are going to come out and 
come after him. So that could still happen, right? You just don't have any of the elements pertaining to the Marvel Universe, Tony Stark and all that stuff, which they wrapped up pretty nicely in the last movie. So they really did wrap up the Tony Stark side. Yeah. And then we there got, won't be any Nick Fury. No. And we now. To, trying to be a, or as happy a, Hogan. Right. Now, trying to be as objective about this as possible. Which means him and Aunt May have to break up. <laughs> well, they weren't really decided on what they were anyway. Happy seemed to be the one that thought they were dating, and she was just, I think, getting her fuck on or whatever. Well, I mean, I she's Marissa Tomei to, like... She'll be all right. Yeah, to John Favreau. Yeah. So... Now, these characters are not fair. essential to Spider-Man, to me, because as a Spider-Man comic book reader, Happy Hogan and Nick Fury have very little to do with Spider-Man in Spider-Man proper. So there's a part of this that can be, yeah, for a good example, thing. in all the Spider-Man, everything that I've watched with you. Yeah. You've never seen them. Exactly. Interact with Spider-Man. Right. That's the last century. You do see Nick Fury sometimes. You will see Nick Fury sometimes. I haven't. In all of the animated everything that you've made me watch, I've never it, seen Nick Fury. The 90s series, he was on there, but he's white, so you might not have recognized him uh, because he used to be white. Uh, so, but he was he was literally in there in, in the one that I had on yesterday morning uh, from the 90, I think, 95, 96. When Mary Jane's like a slut and Gwen <laughs> Stacy's like a goody-goody. Anyway, Mary I don't Jane's think a, Mary Jane's a slut. She clearly is. No. She's all like, hey, Peter. And Gwen this is how she talks, man. <laughs> Sister Tone and Cadence. What do you want and from And she's her? like, girls like me don't give second chances. Like, oh, okay. I don't know what that means. <laughs> the stuff that you take away from the shows that I watch is so different from what stays in my brain. <laughs> like, that's the stuff that doesn't even occur to me. Uh, Other than maybe that, okay, that voice is a little bit much. Yeah. Which is just a throwback Since to the 60s like and bedroom, 70s. Like, baby talk, weird, gross voice. <laughs> and then the shit she says. It's like, okay, you're disgusting. All right, so I'm trying to dissect this deal and be as objective about it as possible, which is hard because I'm obviously passionate. I'm and that 90s, involved. speaking of Spider-Man, yeah. that 90s series. Yeah. Aunt May, who's like 90 in that series. Right, that's again, the old, that's how she was in the comics. Yeah, she fucking hates Spider-Man. Yes, that, that's so how she funny. was in the comics. She was terrified whole, of him. The whole time, she's like, he's a bad egg. Yeah. I'm telling you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she in the comics. That's how she used to be. Literally terrified of Spider-Man. It's so funny. Yeah, and they they continued that in the '90s. So, all right, this is good and bad. Basically, it's bad for obvious reasons. Uh, the MCU has set a standard for comic book movies, not just Marvel movies, but I think for comic book movies, and you know created the term cinematic universe. Basically, despite the fact that there have been a previous cinematic universes, this is the first time that we've really heard that term. And then other movie studios have tried to duplicate it, replicate it. Even Universal tried to do it with their monsters since they have the mummy and Frankenstein and Dracula. So what, what is DC? Like DCCU? Well, they, they call it the extended universe over there for some reason. They never call it the cinematic universe. It's the DC extended universe. That's the term they got. I don't I don't know. I really hate DC. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so it's bad. You know, Kevin Feige has an amazing record. He's produced 23 movies. It's unprecedented. Not a single flop. Every single one is open at number one. 
and been hugely profitable for Disney and Marvel. So taking Kevin Feige off of Spider-Man is not great necessarily. However, I will say this. Other people can write Spider-Man stories. And I do like the idea of Spider-Man kind of being one of the only heroes around, if that makes any sense. Because he gets shown up quite easily <laughs> in the Marvel universe, right? Yeah. So in the comics, you know, there's other than crossovers, he doesn't have a whole hell of a lot of interaction with the other superheroes like you see. Like, he'll have the occasional team up. A lot of the times it's with Johnny Storm from the Fantastic Four. He pops in a lot. Um, and and you'll, you'll, you will see other characters here and there. Does Sony own the cinematic rights to anyone else? Just yeah, I had Venom. Spider-Man and any character under the Spider-Man umbrella, which apparently works out to over 900 characters. Oh, so, lot, so lots. Then. Lots. Mostly villains and side characters. Um, but yeah, so basically anything I don't and I don't know. I had no idea it was that many characters involved in the Marvel Universe or in, the, in Spider-Man's comics even. Cause but it's it, just Spider-Man, though. It's just so Spider-Man. It's not, anything related to Spider-Man. And it's just. In so the it's movies. like Spider-Man. It's like what's that called? Blackface Spider-Man. Blackface Spider-Man. Is that what it's called? Let's write that down for an episode <laughs> title. Is I don't that know what the called? fuck you're talking about? I don't know what. Black Suit Spider-Man? Yeah. Black Suit Spider-Man. Black Suit Spider-Man. Blackface Spider-Man. <laughs> Woo. Is that that's not a, Al Jolson as Spider-Man? Yeah. That's not good. That's not. Blackface Spider-Man. I'm that's, Googling that now. I meant to put it in my notes. I'm in the wrong <laughs> app, though. Do not, do not Google Blackface Spider-Man, by the way, in case you were considering. So it's not Blackface Spider-Man. It's it Black is. Suit Spider-Man. Black Suit Spider-Man. Which is... is Symbiote Spider-Man, basically. But is that who that is? Like, is that, is that the same who, guy? who is? Black Suit Spider-Man? What do you mean, is that who that is? I mean, that's who it is in Spider-Man 3, but is that who that is in general? I don't know what you're asking me. Is Black Suit Spider-Man when when he gets the symbiote? Yes. Okay. I know who that's who it is in Spider-Man three. I just didn't know if that's who it is like all the only time that's who that is. No, it's I mean that's from the comics. We talked about it at because well, last and that's what it is in that like that spectacular. <laughs> I don't listen. To <laughs> like I went through the whole history of the black suit. <laughs> well, in last spec- week that was spectacular, me. Spectacular, spectacular Spider-Man the 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 cartoon. Okay. There's a black suit Spider-Man too, and I don't remember it being. Oh, yeah, it yeah, becomes I, Venom. Yes, I do remember that. Yeah, it becomes Venom. It always oh, becomes Venom. That's the whole thing. Oh man, um, I guess we'll have to do another Spider-Man episode. It's the only, it's the only way I can think to remedy this problem of yours. You don't seem to. If I just kind of hammer it home every week, just go <laughs> over the history of the symbiote suit. I feel like and I, Venom's origins. I feel like the more you talk about, it, the less I listen. <laughs> so maybe if you would stop. Uh, so yeah, so they, I think Spider-Man's story is, I mean, other than the, the way they ended it with, with the, uh, the credit stinger scene, his, his story is actually kind of decently wrapped up over there. Um, I don't know. I, I feel, I really do feel two ways about it. There's a part of me that's very sad to have him out of the MCU. And there's no. a part of me that's happy Not to have fair. him out of the MCU, which as strange as that sounds, I know everybody's like, what, why? It's because... As being just a, lo- a long time fan of Spider-Man individually, like he's been in the Avengers in the comics. I never cared for that. I, I just like Spider-Man on his own. I like back to basic Spider-Man. Currently, Spider-Man is living in an apartment with a supervillain named Boomerang. 
and Boomerang does not know that he's living with Spider-Man, but Spider-Man does. He has two roommates, actually. I forget his other friend's name. Is he and doing it to, like, watch Boomerang? No, his other friend is friends with Boomerang. Boomerang's trying to... He's, like, kind of reformed super criminal, I guess. Oh, it's like a halfway house. But he's the one who ended up... That's how they end up with the third roommate. And I, I just like... I like the back to basics. I like that he doesn't have access to Edith or anything like that. That's... I mean, that's too much for Spider-Man. Um... And I like uh, the, the thing I'm most excited about, as I'm sure you probably already know, Venom and Carnage and Spider-Man. That's something I've been wanting to see. Now, that could have happened in the MCU. I mean, and it still could, honestly. Sony and, and Disney could reach a deal. That could still happen. Um, as of right now, though, after D23 this past weekend, Kevin Feige and Tom Holland have both made statements. You know, Tom Holland's just kind of like sucking it up. And he's just like, you know, I'm excited. You know, we're going to keep making awesome Spider-Man movies. Tom Holland. But. I feel Whatever. bad for this kid, and and it's kind of and it, there's there's Tom like Holland's like can't wait to kill Uncle Ben again in some <laughs> flashback movie. Hopefully, hope to God they don't do that. That's so unnecessary. I hope they realize that much anyway. Um, but he, I, I feel bad for him. I mean, don't get me wrong. He's a multimillionaire. I'm sure he he was already born into a rich family. Right, he was rich. But at still, birth. it's just you know he kind it's kind of like fine. being ripped from one family. You know what I mean? Like, he's part of that Marvel fan. They seem very tight-knit. You've seen them outside of that. Yeah. They're not going to suddenly be like, we can't talk no, to you No, but it's still, Tom it's Holland. weird. It makes things weird. You know? It's like when you're, you have a group of friends at a job, and then, like, one of you quits, and then, like, sometimes you just don't see that friend as much, and they're not in on the conversations as much because they're not at your work. movies aren't being made anymore, though. What movies? The Avengers movies. No, but they're still making Marvel movies, and they are going to make Avengers movies. Okay, but Chris Evans isn't making those movies anymore. No. Well, that's what I mean. Like, his story wrapped up a little bit prematurely, but it had to wrap up at some point. Yeah, but Chris Evans isn't making that movie and we anymore. Got five, and we got Tony five Stark, appearances of Spider-Man. Whatever the fuck his name is. Robert Downey Jr. is not making the movies anymore. Right. So, I mean, it's fine. Yeah, that's what I mean. It, it's it's, it's not the worst thing that could happen. How? But when you look at Sony's track record, they have two good live-action Spider-Man movies. They have one bad one and two god-awful abominations that should never, ever be mentioned, which is Amazing Spider-Man 1 and 2. Those are the worst fucking Spider-Man movies since the TV series, the live-action TV series, basically. Those are fucking... Spider-Man 3 looks amazing compared to those. It looks just like a perfect movie compared yeah, to Yeah, I love Spider-Man that Ron Burgundy scene where they, like, fucking... That is fantastic compared to anything going on in the Amazing around. Spider-Man movies. Those are fucking awful they are based on Twilight. I don't know why that was the direction they went. They better never fucking do that again. Like, it is not a dramatic teen coming of age. Like, that is not what is happening in Spider-Man. It's funny, it's light, and there's action. Anyway. And Sp- Peter Parker's never, boob. like, been the cool kid. I don't know why they made him, like, the cool kid in that. If I could kick in the boob one more time, <laughs> I, I'm going to have to get rid of the hey, dogs. at least you're not getting humped. It's because the humping dog is asleep and the other dog is kicking me in the boob. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like, so hey, we got bags. Tom Hardy as Venom, a much cooler Dude, looking Venom than Topher yeah, Grace. Yeah, everybody knows that. We got Tom Holland as, as Spider-Man. So I'm just trying to give people something positive to dwell on instead of just being all boo-hoo about him being right, out of the well, MCU. We're half an hour in. Can we start talking about topics? People want to hear this stuff. I promise you that. Not I get a, feedback about my stuff. Not about the Tom Holland again. Everybody yeah. knows Tom Holland. There are people that are mourning. They're in mourning for this. Right. Isn't that weird? There are people that are very upset, but I want to give people some hope and be like, you know what? We're still going to get Spider-Man movies. 
we've got a great yeah, Spider-Man. They, they just have to get the right writers and the right directors, and that's where Sony fails a lot. However, movies like Spider-Verse give me hope. Hopefully they go to the guys who made that. Spider-Verse was really good. And consult with them about where to go with Spider-Man, because I they seem to have a good lock on what Spider-Man is. So, Spider-Verse was so good. Yeah. So, I mean, there, it's it's not all bad news. It's I mean, I, I understand why everybody's trepidatious, because at the same time, I am, too. You Realistically, you have to be like, yeah. the last three live-action Spider-Man movies were fucking garbage that Sony made. Fucking awful, terrible, just forget about it garbage. I don't know, man. Tobey Maguire's all like, hey, man, look at my hair. <laughs> I'm a bad I'm going to make you watch the Amazing Spider-Man movies, because you will never mention Spider-Man 3 in a bad light again. You put them on pretty frequently for uh, someone who hates them as much as you do I'm trying to like them you put them on often i am so i've often, seen is it is it as often as i watch the sam raimi trilogy no but it's pretty frequently it's and then what do every, i do what do i do about three minutes in you fall asleep but here's what i don't <laughs> here's what happens every time i just go to sleep it's like a trigger where I'm just like, I got to get out of here. <laughs> Even I'm going to put it on. Uh-huh. I'm just going to go to sleep. <laughs> but I don't fall asleep. Right. So I see a lot of it. So you've seen the Green Goblin. You've seen. I've seen. I've seen Gwen Stacy's death. I've seen all okay. that. They got some things cool. Like that was pretty cool. The way he killed her in the, the suit in Amazing Spider-Man 2. However, Electro is awful. It's all bad. Yeah. It's not good. And then, yeah. The, and Andrew Garfield, but I think Andrew Garfield just, is the worst part. I don't, I don't think, I think it just might be Andrew Garfield, though. I'm not sure about him as a human. <laughs> like, I'm not sure. Well, I don't know about that dude. I just know he is not a good Spider-Man. Andrew or Garfield loves lasagna and hates Mondays. He looks good in the suit. I will give him that. He well, looks skinny. good in the Spider-Man somebody's suit. Skinny he reminds me mean. of the J. Scott Campbell Spider-Man, and I like is that. Is he? No, it's Hayden Christensen. I was like, is he Anakin Skywalker? No. I forgot. Skinny, skinny, ugly people. I just can't remember their names. All right, but yeah, have have hope. Be optimistic for not. Spider-Man's future, cinematic future. We're getting more Spider-Man movies. They're not be, and, and Marvel has plenty of other stuff up their sleeve. You won't even notice he's gone. I, okay. Yeah. I, didn't, I don't care. You won't. You won't notice he's gone. All right. You want to go first? You want me to go first? Even you though I feel like go you've first. been going first for half an hour. <laughs> so you go first then. All right. So I'm going to tell you a story this week. All right. About Ben Cohen and Jerry Greenfield. Do you know who they are? Do they have anything to do with Spider Man? Ben Cohen and Jerry Greenfield? Yeah. Ben Cohen and Jerry Greenfield. I don't know who they are. Well, they were childhood friends from Merrick, New York. Okay. And although Greenfield finished college, he found himself unable to make it in medical school. And Cohen dropped out of college. So in 1977, Ben and Jerry completed a $5. I was so hung up on the last names. I was like... Maybe they shortened their name, and I was like, Leonard Cohen? Is she getting nah, she wouldn't cover Leonard Cohen. They completed a $5 correspondence course on ice cream making <laughs> from the Pennsylvania State University Creamery. $5. Cohen has severe anosmia, which is a lack of sense of smell or taste. So what? he. Oh, you didn't know that? How, why would I know that? I don't even know who they are. Okay, so I only know this because I own Ben and Jerry's ice cream making cookbook. Of course you do. 
Well, yeah, because that's <laughs> who I base my recipes on when I make ice cream. So he relied completely on mouthfeel and the texture to provide variety in his diet. Wow. This led to the company's trademark chunks being mixed with their ice cream. That's why their ice cream is so chunky. Hmm. And it has all the different types of texture in there. So like caramel and the big like if you so get So like fish when food, you can't smell or taste, you would you just like textures of food in your mouth? Yeah, you, that's what you base your diet on. What? Because the majority of your taste comes from smell. Yeah. So when you can't smell, you don't taste. I understand that. That's why yeah. people hold their nose when they eat something that doesn't right. taste good. Right. Yeah, I, I get that. No, I get so, that. But I just, I just wouldn't imagine I would then divert to you would the, how putting, it feels in my mouth. Yeah. I mean, you would put corn in your mashed potatoes, you know, just to give it so that way it's not like mush. Hmm. Yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, I never thought about that. Also, I didn't know that was actually a thing. I thought that was just from uh, Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. I got no sense of smell. (laughs) (laughs) What am I hard of smelling? (laughs) So on May fifth, nineteen seventy eight, with twelve thousand dollar investment, four thousand of which was borrowed, the two business partners opened Ben and Jerry's Homemade Ink. It was in a homemade ink. Homemade Incorporated. Ben and Jerry's Homemade Incorporated. I just feel like there's a word missing there. Like homemade what? That's the name of the corporation. Oh, okay. Just like my business. So they can like branch out then. Yeah, my business is. Well, they were originally going to be a bagel company. So they they were going to be bagels, bagels and ice cream. That was originally going to be. I'm not covering this. And that's not what the story is about. All right. This isn't the story of Ben and Jerry. This is one specific story. Did ben murder Jerry? Is that where this is going? Because there's always like a dark slant to what you do. So Don't you feel like you would have heard that story already? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know anything about Ben and Jerry. So it, it was in a renovated gas station in downtown Burlington, Vermont. And in 17... Nope. <laughs> wow. Time traveling, Ben and Jerry. This is interesting. In 1979, they marked their anniversary by holding the first free cone day, which is an annual event now at every Ben and Jerry store. In 1980, they rented space in an old spool and bobbin mill in South Champlain, Champlain, South Champlain Street. Okay. Yep. That's. That's right. Sure. I'm saying it right. Yep. In Burlington. And they started packing their ice cream in pints. In 1981, the first Ben & Jerry's franchise opened on Route 7 in Shelburne, Vermont. In 1983, Ben & Jerry's ice cream was used to build the world's largest ice cream sundae in St. Albans, Vermont. And the sundae weighed 27,102 pounds. Jesus. So, this is where the story starts. Oh. In 1984, Ben and Jerry met with one of their independent distributors in a restaurant at Logan Airport. They had, he had important news for them. This is a quote. The distributor informed us that Pillsbury Corporation had bought haagen And this is what Ben wrote in their 2011 article for Innovations Journal. Pillsbury had threatened to stop selling haagen to the distributor if he continued to sell Ben & Jerry's. Hmm. haagen was the distributor's moneymaker, and he couldn't afford to do without it, so he had to drop Ben & Jerry's. Oof. 
Ben and Jerry were forced to make, or they were forced with a choice. They either had to accept the decision and find another way to get into the Boston market, or they were they had to fight Pillsbury. Yeah. Ben and Jerry's was a young company. They had limited resources, so they did the thing that would give them a shot. They decided to fight. No. Cool. I think, I think we can all tell now <laughs> that they did okay. Taking down so, the doughboy. So an attorney confirmed that under the federal antitrust law that the the incident qualified as a restraint of trade. Yeah. However, I was going to ask, like, there's got to be, yeah. you shouldn't be allowed to do that. However, he assured them that the FTC wouldn't do anything to help them. Hmm. So Ben said that while we could sue Pillsbury, we couldn't afford to get anywhere against a company worth over $4 billion. Right. That's a shame. They decided that to is not how the justice system should work. Right. <laughs> they decided to take on Pillsbury using a different strategy. They launched launched a publicity com- campaign using what is the doughboy afraid of as their battle cry. Nice. They hired small planes to fly around major sports stadiums in Boston <laughs> with banners printed with the slogan. They also hit the streets using municipal buses plastered with the ads depicting two pudgy white hands squeezing a pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Nice. And with the sign that read, don't let Pillsbury's dollar strangle Ben and Jerry's ice cream. And then underneath it said, what is the doughboy afraid of? The campaign combined low-cost advertising and powerful messaging and aerial and transit advertising were both comparatively cheap ways of reaching large and diverse audiences. The ads themselves were attention-grabbing, and the words struck a balance between giving just the right amount of information and piquing people's curiosity. The two then decided to take the fight to Pillsbury. Jerry became a one-man picket campaign outside of the corporation in Minneapolis, and the image of the corporate giant's headquarters towering over the only only, um, guy in the picket line evoked a David to... You know, Goliath. Yeah. But no one ever actually saw the pictures. <laughs> Only one reporter showed up at the press conference they held. Nice. And Ben said, after all, this was, as as old news would say, companies shoving another company out of the, as, out of the marketplace. The strategy wasn't working, and again, Ben said... We weren't getting anywhere. People who walked by Greenfield in Minneapolis would keep their distance. Those who saw Ben and Jerry's banners didn't care. Like, they didn't do anything. And they didn't get any press coverage. So they tried another angle. They took out advertising in Rolling Stone. Hmm. Because their theory was, like, people who read Rolling Stone are like rebels. Right. And they were like, oh, yeah, you'll identify with us. We're rebels, too. Right. So... Ben said, we took out a classified ad in the back of Rolling Stone that said, help two Vermont hippies fight against the corporate giants. Send $1 for a what's the doughboy afraid of bumper sticker. But the magazine ad tactic also failed. So they changed their strategy yet again. So the cool part of being a startup is that you can innovate, experiment, and like be flexible in your in your campaign. Like that's the big difference between being a startup and a major corporation. Yeah. So 
Ben is quoted as saying, our customers, the people who ate our ice cream, cared more than anyone if Ben and Jerry's went down the tubes. So with that in mind, they decided to direct, directly target their customers with the campaign. On each of their pint containers, they put a sticker that said, what's a dough boy afraid of? And had an 800 number that people could call and hear a recording of Ben and Jerry talking about what Pillsbury was trying to do. Ah. So then they asked people to leave their contact information so they could send them a doughboy kit. It contained a write-in, why don't you pick on someone your own size letter to the chairman of Pillsbury. Nice. A letter to the FCT or the FTC, a what's the doughboy afraid of bumper sticker, a chance to send $10 to get a t-shirt that said Ben and Jerry's Legal Defense Fund, major contributor on the back. And now, because of how crazy this all was, Ben and Jerry are considered pioneers of Kickstarter because ah. they were like original Kickstarter. Crowdfunding, yeah. Yep. Even though Kickstarter wasn't invented for right. decades. Many, many years later. So it worked. They started getting hundreds of calls on the line between midnight and 3 a.m., <laughs> which was apparently the time of day that people were eating the product. <laughs> and this was all, Ben covered this in a book called The Definition of Business. So the chairman of the board of Pillsbury was flooded with letters. People began talking more about Pillsbury's anti-competitive trade practices, and articles started appearing in New Yorker Magazine, Boston Globe, Sunday uh, Magazine, Hartford Courant, and New York Times, and Wall Street Journal. So the lawsuit was settled out of court in March of 85, and the 85 agreement called for haagen to refrain from policies and actions that coerce distributors not to carry Ben & Jerry's products. And that's according to Fred Lager. That is so fucked up, man. Like, Wait, uh, it gets worse. So that's... <laughs> like you shouldn't have to tell people that. <laughs> so that's the... So Fred Lager, the general manager for Ben & Jerry's, he, he makes a statement and says, you know, this is what, this is what the 85 thing was about. Then in 1987, they file a new one, November of 87, in district court because haagen is back at it again. They violate that. Jesus Christ. So the suit sought a preliminary injunction ordering that the terms of the agreement be honored and no monetary damages are sought. This is a quote from that logger guy from earlier. We've been told by our distributors that Haagen-Dazs and Pillsbury are calling them up and threatening to terminate the distributors if they don't sign agreements saying they will not carry the super premiums. So the super premium is the type of ice cream. Okay. You know how, like, we go and we buy, like, uh, like the shitty ice cream that we buy? Yeah, like store and, brand. Right. And then super premiums are going to be your Haagen-Dazs and your, right. like, the nicer ones. So Ben and Jerry's claimed Haagen-Dazs told distributors that they would they w could not carry both brands of ice cream after January 1st, 1988. Jesus fucking Christ, man. So this whole How thing. How is that okay? Okay. So and I don't have this in my okay, notes. But like, I don't have this in my notes, but here's what it was. Is that Haagen-Dazs and Pillsbury said that it was okay because they, because, um, Ben and Jerry's had the same the same thing. Now Ben and Jerry's was being distributed by Dryers, mm -hmm. who we know as Briars in in Cleveland. Okay, but it's Dryers in the rest of the country for whatever reason, hmm. and they have that 
agreement with dryers. But what it is, is that dryers, you can only, as a dryers distributor, you can only have one of dryers super premium brands. Okay. So if dryers has like five super premium brands, you have to pick one. Gotcha. So Ben Jerry's was independent though. But they were being distributed by dryers. Okay, gotcha. So Haagen-Dazs said, or Pillsbury said, that they were doing the same thing that dry that they were doing with dryers and Pillsbury and and um, Ben and Jerry said, no, you weren't because we're two different distributing companies. Yeah. So you can't do that. You can't say you have to pick either distributing through Pillsbury or through dryers. You ha- you have to allow both distributing companies to right. come in. Then when you're within those distributing companies, you can have your own. Right. You know like selection process but you have to allow both you can't do that so it ended up being resolved before january 1st but i think it really tells you a lot about pillsbury and how they made an agreement in 87 in 85 and then went back on it two years later and i feel like that's just that's big business period is they they that's why it's so hard to be a startup in america you know yeah because you have all these rich people that have made it Maybe some on their own, but most of them are probably born into money and had, you know, they were, they were basically starting ahead. Some of the, people, some people are, are bootstrapping. Some people are genuinely born into money and some people are right. VC backed. But a, a lot of people are, you know, starting on third base and they, you know, expect everybody to act like they are too, even though they're not. And, and then they, they do, they, they fucking, they muscle people out or try to anyway. And like, that's, that's not what America, like, that's the opposite of capitalism. Yeah, you know that that is that is like definitely that is very communistic to be like there can only be one brand of ice cream dude and it's like could you imagine if you go in to the grocery store and there's one super premium right that's like how when you're pissed or just one type of ice cream period when you go into like you have a very specific brand of beef bun length hot dogs that you like yeah and when I go into a store and I can't find those, you get so mad and you want me to go to a totally different store. Like, you hate that. I mostly hate it with the lemonade. When you come home yeah, with like some off-brand lemonade, when that's, I go, that's what really bothers you me. You add, you add to the grocery list, cons, bun length, yeah. bun length, beef Well, that's just to be specific. Yeah. But that, I have to go to a different store for that. They don't carry that at Aldi. They don't carry that at Walmart even. I have to go to Giant Eagle to get cons, cons, bun length, cons. <laughs> I was about to say cons. <laughs> but cons, bun length, beef, hot dogs is only available. That's Ooh, the only maybe place. Maybe they can be a sponsor. I want to get sponsored for all the food I love. <laughs> it would be fantastic. But that's the Ooh, only place so in the area that sells that. Yeah. I'll eat other hot, I'll eat other beef hot dogs though. I don't. Well, I bought saying, you. You're saying I make a big deal out of it. I only make a big deal out of it if you were at Giant Eagle and you didn't get those. Well, what I make a big deal out of is is my lemonade. Yeah, you do. But make I a big don't. Deal. That's what I make a big deal is when so, you bring me some Walmart anyway. brand lemonade. Ain't having it. Oh my goddamn Minute Maid, or at least some Simply Lemonade. You're fine with Walmart brand no, lemonade. No, I am not. I've. Ooh, we've you're been not, over this. You're not fine with Aldi brand lemonade. No, no. no. I'm not okay. Walmart has frozen lemonade, right? It's fucking awful. Don't buy it. I've never bought you. You have. Walmart. That's why I'm telling. You. <laughs> it oh. was only a few months ago. And yes, Aldi has. They don't even have frozen lemonade though. Yeah. Their their version of simply lemonade is terrible. Yeah. 
And then you got me some weird step down welfare you. lemonade no, that I'm you. like, hell no. You. you got me like lemon drink. And I'm like, I what the fuck is this? Organic lemonade. That's what it says. But if it's not refrigerated, it's not organic. <laughs> like, that's a lie. That's some terrible shit. Oh, that's where my passion lies is with my lemonade. <laughs> Hot dogs. Uh, yeah, I have a, a kind I really like, but I can eat as long as it's beef. I'm not that picky, to be honest. Lips and assholes. In April of 2000, Ben and Jerry sold their company to an Anglo-Dutch multinational food giant Unilever. And although the founders' names are still attached to the products, they do not hold any board or management positions. And they're no longer involved in the day-to-day management of the company. So, I mean, there's more. There's like, you know, they were they were arrested for <coughs> for protesting and all of this. You know, like, they, there's so much more to their story, but yeah. I really just wanted to... Hone in on the Doughboy story. And how big business fucking gets intimidated and tries to get rid of you. When big business identifies you. It's like that episode of Clerks the Animated Series. And they're like, bring this quick store to me. Yeah, (laughs) bring this quick quick stop stop to me. me. Yeah. (laughs) It's like. Bring it. And it's like, that's that's the kind of situation. It's like the quick stop sales have spiked over 200 (laughs) percent. It's like, bring this quick stop to me. All right. So, uh, dear listener, I just want to say I have another podcast that I do that goes live on Tuesdays. It's called Sean Knobs and Boomsticks. Oh, I didn't. We didn't get a sponsorship from that. So I'm mentioning this because I have a lot more to say about D23 and all the announcements. But clearly, Maggie doesn't want me to go into that. But I'm sure it will be discussed. So you can tune into that. I don't want to talk about She-Hulk. I don't want to talk about any of that. There's, there's a lot Moon of stuff. Knight. I don't uh, want to talk about any of it. There's a lot of stuff going on there. However, I am getting my topic for today. Do you know what my topic is? Is it Moon Knight? It's Moon Knight and She-Hulk. Are you serious? Yeah. That's why I thought Fuck. you were. I thought you saw my notes here. I did it. I just know you. <laughs> Fuck. But what the other stuff I want to get into, I want to, there's been some some Disney announcements. Ewan McGregor is back as Obi-Wan in a series. We got the Mandalorian trailer. There's a lot of stuff to discuss that you clearly don't want to. So I'm going to drag that over to my other podcast if you want to hear my thoughts. Fuck. And predictions on I that had stuff. No idea you were talking about the two things I just named. I just know you so well. That that's the two things I knew you'd want to talk about. my heart go a flutter. (laughs) Are you sure you're not having a heart attack again? Yeah, I'm sure. Okay. There's a big difference between like intense pain. (laughs) And love. Yeah. Big difference there. But yeah, the reason I'm going to talk about Moon Knight and She-Hawk is because they announced that they are getting Disney Plus series. I'm going to tell you what Disney Plus is real quick so some people don't know. Disney Plus is a streaming subscription service along the lines of Netflix or Hulu. It will be debuting. This is this is not a paid for ad, by the way. This is not an ad. Um, I'm just telling you what it is. Uh, November 12th, it will go live. It is all of seven dollars a month. You get four streams. You can stream simultaneously on four devices and it's all in 4K for seven dollars a month. So they're coming in. Very competitive right now against all these other streaming companies, right? They'll raise it quickly. They will raise it. I don't think quickly. I'd say maybe after a year. I'm going to predict after a year it'll go up. Uh, That's quickly, in my opinion. After one year? Eh. Yeah, that's, that's when they get you locked in. and But they have so many good same, series coming out. That's the same as, as... But they've announced some more TV series for this uh, streaming subscription service. And two of them that they just announced are Moon Knight and She-Hulk. Those are the two I'm I'm probably most excited about. I could... Yeah, I know. 
Why do you know? Because how, how do you think I guess? I'm, I'm very excited about these characters being having their own uh, shows. All right. So let's get into Moon Knight. Plus, I was hoping that Keanu Reeves would play Moon Knight. I'm guessing that's not who's going to be Moon Knight on the, the subscription service version of Moon Knight. But that's fine. I'm sure they'll find somebody cool nonetheless. So who is Moon Knight? What do you know about Moon Knight, Maggie? Tell I us. I know that he is crazy. Okay. He wears white. Yep. And he's crazy. <laughs> That's it? That's all your Moon Knight information? It's my three things that I know about him. All right. Moon Knight first appeared in 1975 in an issue of Werewolf by Night, issue number 32. As opposed to Werewolf by Day? Yeah, just Werewolf by Night. The Day Werewolf was a different series. That was, was it really? No. <laughs> I was going to say it was a different series. It was handled by Stephanie Meyer, oh. or whatever her name is. Is that her name? Did I get her name right? I think so. Is it Stephanie yeah. Meyer or Stephanie Plum? No, Stephanie Meyer. Okay. Stephanie Plum is a fictional Stephanie Meyer character. who created Twilight. She handles Steph the Werewolf Stephanie by Plum. Day series. Stephanie it's Plum great. is a fictional character by Jenna Werewolf sometimes come, they just start sparkling for no reason. No, that's vampires. <laughs> Why can't the werewolves do it? Because they're busy imprinting on babies that right. they want to bang later. All right. Uh, he was created by Doug Munch and... Uh, <laughs> All right, maybe it's Mensch. We'll call him Doug Mensch because I don't know how you say his name. So I'm going to okay. say Doug Mensch. Uh, like Mensch yes. is at least. That's Doug Mensch was the writer and the artist with Don. <laughs> Munch. Doug Mensch and artist Don Perlin. He was created as a villain hired by the committee to capture the title character of Werewolf by Night. I don't even know who that is. Uh, He's probably a werewolf. In a two-part story continuing in issue number 33. He finds out that the committee wanted to use him as a weapon and helps the werewolf. I guess that's the main character, the werewolf. That's escape. What, that's what I said. Uh, briefly fighting alongside him. Moon Knight later returned in the form of a demonic apparition, taking on the appearance, taking on his appearance to battle the werewolf once again. However, editors Marv Wolfman, that's a real person, and Len Wein. <laughs> and Len Nightman. <laughs> <laughs> Len Wein liked the character, prompting them to grant him a solo spot in Marvel Spotlight issues 28 and 29, again written by Doug Mensch and art by Don Perlin. Uh, the story, along with the Bill Mantlo pen Spectacular Spider-Man number 22 and 23, recast Moon Knight as a hero and his villainous first appearance as a cover to infiltrate the committee. All right, so let's get a little bit into the actual character. Who is Moon Knight? What is a Moon Knight? All right, he was born in Chicago, Illinois. Mark Spector was his name. He's a Jewish-American rabbi's wayward son. Oh, There's yeah, that's definitely Mensch. Uh, as an adult, Spector had been a heavyweight boxer before becoming a U.S. Marine. Afterward, he left the United States military to become a mercenary. He later becomes a strong and skilled combatant and befriends a French pilot, whom he affectionately calls Frenchie, <laughs> while working for the African mercenary Raoul Bushman in Egypt. Uh, the group stumbles upon an archaeological dig whose crew includes Dr. Peter Alrani, Alron, I don't know, and his daughter Marlene. The dig had uncovered an ancient temple where artifacts included a statue of the Egyptian moon god Khonshu. Intent on looting the dig, Bushman kills Dr. Alron. In response to his murder, Spectre challenges Bushman to personal combat and is defeated by Bushman and left to die in the sub-zero temperatures of the desert night. The, Egyptian, the Egyptians who worship the ancient gods find Spectre and carry him to their temple. Helpless before the statue of Khonshu, Spectre's heart stops. Khonshu appears to him in a vision, offering Spectre a second chance at life if he becomes the god's avatar on Earth. 
Spectre awakens, wraps himself in the silver shroud that covers Kanchu's statue, and again confronts Bushman. He defeats him and returns to America with Marlene, Frenchie, and the statue of Kanchu. Deciding to become a crime fighter, Spectre creates a silver cloak costume based on the silver shroud and becomes Moon Knight, a.k.a. the Fist of Kanchu. So he wears all white. One of the reasons he wears all white is he wants people to see him. He wants criminals to notice him. Like He's not like Batman. He's not hiding in the shadow. He's a little, he's a little off in the head, and he likes confrontation a lot. Yeah, that's what I said. He's not trying to sneak up on him. All right. So after he returns to the United States, Spectre invests the money that he accumulated as a mercenary and develops a small fortune. To distance himself from his mercenary past, he creates an identity, the identity of millionaire entrepreneur Stephen Grant, using it to purchase a spacious estate. To remain in contact with the street and criminal element, he also creates the identity of taxi cab driver Jake Lockley. So over the course of his life as a boxer, U.S. Marine, mercenary, costume superhero, uh, he becomes an expert hand-to-hand combat uh, with martial arts such as boxing, kung fu, eskrima, judo, karate, ninjutsu, savade, muay thai. He's an Olympic-level athlete, skilled acrobat, gymnast, and excels as a combat strategist. All right, this all down. sounds very familiar, though, right? Does this sound like anybody else you know that I may have mentioned just a second ago? Uh, man. He employs a variety of weapons over the course of his career, including throwing darts, nunchaku, bow staff, and a truncheon. Skill with oh, most weapons. I'm weapon. sorry, a what? A truncheon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Uh, all right. Uh, so his fighting style, uh, as stated earlier, he's a little crazy. He likes to. He would rather. He would rather take a punch than block it. So characters like Taskmaster. I don't know if you're familiar with. Him. He's going to be the bad. He's going to be a Black Widow. But he's a character who his whole thing is he can duplicate your fighting style after like seconds of fighting with you. He can just duplicate everything you do. So he doesn't like Moon Knight's fighting style because Moon Knight doesn't block punches. <laughs> so he doesn't like to duplicate his fighting style. <laughs> it's like a no, no, no for him. Because <laughs> he just takes it. All right. right on, on to the similarities to the aforementioned Batman. Uh, so... Uh, Batman fights crime to avenge the murder of his parents. What? Whereas Moon Knight beats up whoever has it coming because he what? believes he is the avatar of the Egyptian god of vengeance and it helps him feel better about all the people he killed when he was a mercenary. So what happened to Thomas and Martha? So while Batman is motivated by vengeance for wrong done to his parents, Mark Spector is motivated by vengeance as a concept. That's kind of where the... that and I'd say the other biggest difference is the dissociative personality disorder. <laughs> That's a big one. Uh... Batman does use aliases sometimes, but he doesn't have alternate personalities per se. So that's a, that's a big one. So what uh what what happened to Thomas and Martha Wayne? Anyway, <laughs> are they not well? <laughs> hmm. I have some big not? news for you, but not in this episode. <laughs> big news. So yeah, so Moon Knight basically he's a he's a costume crime fighter. He looks really cool. I really like the David Finch version of him. Uh, his artwork's really cool looking when, when he was doing the Moon Knight series. There is a newer version where he wears like a white suit, like a suit. So they're like not a business well, suit. Thomas and Martha, Wayne. They're not doing... They're... Are they somewhere with Ben Parker? <laughs> exactly. Off, they're off on vacation somewhere? Yeah, they're in that... <laughs> and Max and Ruby's parents? <laughs> All right, then the other one I want to get into. All right, so Moon Knight's going to be cool. You're going to have a masked, you know, a... a very similar character to Batman, but also slight, you know, slightly different. Violent vigilante with a really cool costume. As long as they don't do the business suit version, which I hate, I hate the business suit version of Moon Knight. Dumb. 
I don't like it. I think that would be fine if it was Keanu Reeves. But he still wears a mask, though. Oh, it looks. Yeah, that's, that's, that is dumb. It is dumb. <laughs> I don't like it at all. Dumb. All right. So moving on. It's like somebody stop me. <laughs> to She-Hulk. This one really surprised me. And it makes me very excited because I do like She-Hulk. Hey. You know, have you ever heard of a writer named Dan Slott, Maggie? I'm going to fucking punch you <laughs> in the dickhead. So there's yeah. this, this comic book writer. His name is Dan Slott. Yeah, I know. I collaborated with him one time. Yeah, on Hurricane. Her, the Hurricane, right. That's right. We have an episode named Hurricane if you need more on Dan Slott. So he did not create She-Hulk by any means. She was uh, created uh, long before he came. But he did a run on She-Hulk that was very entertaining that I think will be probably a big reference point for this upcoming series. A lot so, of humor. Can I ask a question? A lot of heart. Yes. Like when you're. I'm, I'm guessing that this has a lot to do with why image comics exist. When you're a comic book writer. Yeah. And you do a run on a comic book and you create all of this content. Yeah. And then people use that content to repurpose into movies and stuff. Yes. Do you see anything from that or is it like done because you did your run and you got paid for that run and you're done? I am pretty now. I, I don't have 100. You know, I, I can't say for 100 percent, but I'm fairly certain that the way it works. You get paid for the work you do. Right. You know full well that it's not owned by you in any way. Any characters like, you create while working of- for Marvel are owned by Marvel. However, what's kind of been happening and it's kind of cool is they tend to sometimes they'll bring you in. They'll bring in a, a creator like to as a consultant, so I'm sure you can make a little bit of. I mean, obviously not. Like, you ain't making no Marvel money. A credit. You get yeah, they do they do they do have to put like who create like you always see like created by Stanley and Jack Kirby. Or well, yeah, by but Stanley that's a creator Ditko. credit. But yeah. like, what about what about story credits or like? Um, I don't know. It can it, sometimes it just says based on characters created by. Yeah, but who cares again? About I don't monetarily. I think you probably only get something if. They bring you in to consult on the movie or, or whatever. Oof. Yeah. But I that's mean, the but, thing, though. Like, here's the thing about. But you're aware of it when you're signing off on the agreements. Nowadays, still. absolutely. Back yeah. then, I don't. They didn't know how huge. Like, Stan Lee, Steve Ditko, Jack Kirby. I don't think they had any fucking clue how big their creations were going to get. So yeah. they got not they, Stan Lee, but the uh, Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko got screwed. And by Stan Lee, from what I understand. Right, from what I understand, and, and I understand that Stan Lee's dead, so it's they're all sensitive. They're all, but, they're all dead. But I understand that it's sensitive to talk about that. Right. But still, from what I understand, he dicked over a lot of people. A lot of creative people. So but nowadays it's different, um, just because you know full well, and I, what it is is they're bringing in people that, like back then, Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko, I, I feel like comics were just a job. You know, and I don't know that they it was something they were super passionate about. Right. However, nowadays, the guys that are writing and drawing, they're very passionate and they are more than happy to contribute to the legacy of a character they love. Basically, so it's, it's fine. Yeah. And they, they and get paid for it on top it. of it. And they're just they're happy to get paid for it. And they're happy to be like, like, I know Dan Slott. You know, I follow him on Twitter. And right. He, you guys are best friends. We're because best of friends. That. We collaborated that one. Time. Yeah. But no, he you can tell he's just a very upbeat, positive guy. And you can you know, he's just. It, it, it kind of he he's kind of awestruck sometimes when he sees somebody mention like a, a celebrity mention his name or, you know, because they read his run on Spider-Man. It like blows his mind. He's just happy to be a part of Spider-Man's legacy. Yeah, because he's humble. He's you know, happy you know, somebody read writer, his comic book. But yeah, when like sometimes but he created meet, a comic book. I don't know. 
whatever. It is. That's exciting. When when somebody famous, when like Vincent D'Onofrio is like, I, I loved your run on Spider-Man. I don't know who Vincent D'Onofrio is. He, he, was, he, played, he was the guy in the Edgar suit in Men in Black. And he played Kingpin in, in the Daredevil Marvel. I don't know. You know I mean, the Edgar suit guy? I know the guy, but I wouldn't be excited if he fucking... Vincent D'Onofrio was awesome. If How Vincent dare you? D'Onofrio was like, hey, How Maggie, I'd be like... Are you the guy in the Edgar suit? And he'd be like, that's the only thing you know me from? I'd be like... That, by the way, is an amazing performance. I, uh, it is. It was that a is very an good, amazing performance. It was a really good movie. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, an astonishingly good performance. The more I see... I mean, not that I've watched it recently, but I've watched that movie a few times, and that is just like, holy shit. <laughs> that's yeah, but that's a really the only great thing I know that guy from. <laughs> well, he's been in a lot of stuff, like The Cell. My point um, is... If he, he was like the kingpin, he did great kingpin too. Fantastic kingpin in there. He's a comic book reader. Okay, well I've never seen. Like he'll like, like I, I follow him on Twitter too, and then he'll he'll shout out comic book creators like, "Hey, I just finished your run on this. It was fantastic," and it just blows their fucking minds that anybody would reference Hi. their stuff because these are like big, big movie stars, you know, and they're just they're just, yeah, like, I'm they just a comic book writer. Read. What they have to they read too. I, I, well, I think and, and this is it, it's still hard for people, including me. Like comic books. Are bigger than ever, right? Not, I, I guess, not comic books. Comic book properties are bigger than ever because of the movies. But so, but it's still shocking to me when somebody's like, "Oh, I love Deadpool," because literally ten years ago, that was a lot more rare that you would meet someone that loved Deadpool. You know, that was yes. It, it, I don't yeah. know. No, it, it, it's it's they become so huge now that you see the T-shirts everywhere. It's a whole big thing. That shit's been in my life since I've known you. So to right. me, it's not rare. Yeah, to you, but. To me, it, it's to me it's great though that it's blown up and yeah the and these comic book creators, it's I think they're always stunned when somebody that they respect has read their stuff and liked it. Like I, I think that would always be cool to anybody. Like dude, if somebody somebody if Dan Slott was like, hey, I listened to your podcast, I really liked it, that would blow my mind. <laughs> yeah, like when that chick was like, hey, I've heard of your podcast, right? Like in. Like, yeah, she's like, oh, I know your podcast. It's like, really? <laughs> like, immediately I'm on my back foot and I'm just like, why? Who Who told you about it? Where did you hear about this podcast? I'll believe you. What are you talking about? Like, we I don't, think, even know I don't you. think so. <laughs> That's always weird. All right, so th- this won't be too long. Uh, She-Hulk. So she was created by Stan Lee and artist John Buscema. She first appeared in Savage... Buscemi? No, Buscema. She first appeared in Savage She-Hulk number one, which was cover dated for February of 1980. So she's like a year older than, than people born in 1981. <laughs> Who would that be? <laughs> Just anybody born in 1981, you know? I don't know. <laughs> Neither do I. <laughs> All right. The reason behind the characters. Crea- this is this is the most interesting part to me, actually that I just found out today. The reason behind her creation had to do with the success of the Incredible Hulk TV show with Lou Ferrigno. And that was before 81, wasn't it? It ran from 1977 to 1982. Oh, so the success of that show and the success of a show called The Bionic Woman. Yeah. So Marvel was afraid that the show's executives might suddenly introduce a female version of the Hulk, as had been done with the Six Million Dollar Man, which was The Bionic Woman was like a spinoff of the Six Million Dollar Man. So Marvel decided to publish their own version of such a character to make sure that if a similar one showed up in the television series, Marvel would own the rights. That's why oh. She-Hulk exists. Purely oh. business, right? Jesus. Uh, so her character origins. Uh, she is the cousin of someone named Bruce Banner. I don't know if you're familiar with Bruce Banner. Nope. Bruce Banner is the Hulk, the Incredible Hulk, not for those never. of you who might not know. 
So she had a transfusion of his blood at, in, in an emergency scenario, and it granted her superhuman powers in her She-Hulk form. I have a hard time believing that Bruce Banner is giving his blood to anyone. He's far too paranoid. He had to save his cousin's life, Jennifer he's, Walters. He's very paranoid. Her name's Jennifer Walters. They call her Jen, typically. So Jen, uh, in her She-Hulk form, she possesses enormous superhuman strength. That makes her by far the physically strongest known woman in the Marvel Universe. I when, thought you said that she's always in She-Hulk form. Uh, that's been the case for the most part. and But it turns out they kind of made it so that that was a psychosomatic thing. She she preferred being in that state. And so she stayed, but she didn't have to be in that state. But yeah, she's typically, she's almost always. And then recently uh, she was granted the ability to, to go back and forth somewhere in the past few years. Oh. Um, but for the most part, she she stayed green, kind of just looks like a green Amazonian woman, you know, strong, tall, green, um, green, although her strength originally remained at a set level and did not increase later in her history. Her strength was sporadically been stated to increase further from fear or anger, similar to Bruce Banner. In addition, she possesses superhuman speed, agility, stamina and reflexes. As She-Hulk, Jen is exponentially stronger than she is in her Jennifer Walters form. Therefore, any extra strength gained as Jennifer Walters through intense physical training will be amplified, making her She-Hulk form even stronger. She's also a highly idealistic lawyer. Uh, The character has a history of defending the rights of minorities, the mentally ill, civil liberties, including the right for criminals to not be unduly treated, mistreated and get a proper defense or individuals to not be victimized by certain less ethical corporations but also a belief in the necessity of law and order. These priorities sometimes made her personally conflicted, such as reversing her stance regarding the Superhuman Registration Act and being disillusioned when her more famous cousin uh, was shot into space without due process, which is what started Planet Hulk and then eventually World War Hulk. But uh, the dance slot run on that on her is great. I can't imagine if my cousin was shot. Well, I mean, I guess I wouldn't really care. Shot into space. Space monkey. He'd be shot into space. But yeah, that, uh, that was done by Tony Stark, Reed Richards, Doctor Strange. I'm sorry, Tony Stark is not dead. <laughs> in, in the in the comics, no. Ugh. Not currently. And he shot but they, into they space. shot the Hulk into space to protect the Earth from the Hulk, and they thought they were sending him to some lush planet, but they didn't. They sent him to some war-torn planet <laughs> called Sakaar, which is kind of the basis of Ragnarok heard that name before yeah it's in ragnarok (laughs) 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 they're on sakar so in in that storyline in planet hulk he he lands there it becomes like the gladiator scenario where he becomes a slave the people there are very powerful they throw him in a a thing and he becomes a gladiator he meets some characters named korg and meek they fight alongside him yeah this is all from the comic books i'm like (laughs) i'm like i know korg and Meek. yeah you do korg (laughs) <laughs> the dog just like vomiting on my. So the, the Grandmaster is not a part of it. The Grandmaster is. A, I know Korg. Yeah, you know Korg and Meek, right? Korg is Tikawatiti. Yes. And Meek is the guy that he kills, but does it that he comes back? He's yeah, like, he's oh, not dead. You, you're not dead. So the big difference there is though. So Hulk again, just just like the movie Gladiator, he ascends. He takes over Sakar. He he kills the Emperor or whoever. Um, again, oh, it's not the Grandmaster. And then. And then Hulk is there. Hulk is where? On Sakaar. On Sakaar. That's right. And that's when he... They lifted all when, that from when Planet Hulk's storyline. gets there, they fight. Yes. So, but that... 
in the comics, it wasn't Thor. It was Beta Ray Bill, who's very similar to Thor. But it's, but that's why he's there because he got shot in the space. Yes, and but they kind of yeah they lifted all that from a lot of that is straight out of the comics. Oh. And that's this is why I get upset when people don't read the comics is because uh, they don't realize uh, that these stories that they love are pretty much lifted straight out of the fucking comics, but they won't go why, read the comics. That's why they're there. Yes. That's where. So, but here's where it diverts, and this is where I think it actually is better because I love the whole. It's my birthday. <laughs> well, no, none of that's in there. That's straight out of the movies. But here's what happens. What happened was, uh, Hulk he he meets a woman, a powerful Sakarian warrior. They. They get married. That's his queen. She gets pregnant. They go back to the ship for some reason that was sent there, and the ship explodes and kills his unborn child and his new wife. And he thinks this is because a bomb was placed there by Reed Richards and Tony Stark to kill him. But it turns out, uh, well, I'll, I won't divulge what happened, but it wasn't them who put the bomb there. So what he does is he, this is what leads into the World War Hulk storyline where he goes to Earth and enslaves like all the Marvel superheroes in, in Madison Square Garden and makes them fight. <laughs> yeah, because he's like because his his power level is based on rage and he has never been more enraged in his life. So his first stop is the moon where the Inhumans are. That's the Inhumans base. Yeah, that's where you keep the Inhumans. and that's where that's where Black Bolt lives. Black Bolt is very powerful because he he just uses his voice and he can kill you with his voice by whispering. We've talked at about you. that before. Yeah. Well, I'm telling listener, too. Oh, so in case they don't know. Didn't we talk about it here? Possibly. I was like, I don't feel like I, I love the about story. This outside of- so Hulk shows up on the moon and Black Bolt's sister, um, I think Medusa, she approaches Hulk and, and he's like, I want to, you know, I'm, I'm here for Black Bolt or whatever. And she's like, you know, he could kill you with a whisper. And he's like, and he says, I didn't come here for a whisper. I came here to hear him scream. And like yeah, Black Bolt whispers at him and you see his flesh flying off and he's just a skeleton. And then the next this. panel, the next panel He's on Earth, and he's holding up Black Bolt's mutilated body. <laughs> so superheroes know something is up because <laughs> the Hulk is there. And he just took out fucking Black Bolt, who is like one of the top superhumans, very powerful. And Hulk took him out just like that. So it's 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 all bad. But but what actually happened was uh, what happened was uh, Meek didn't like that Hulk had like settled in as king, and Meek planted the bomb on the ship. Yeah. The slug. Yeah, the, he's he's got kind of like arms. He talks and stuff in the in the comics, but it was actually him that that did it. He'd find that out later. But they have to send the Sentry in to take out the Hulk. The Sentry is the only person that's powerful enough to deal with the Hulk at that point after he's enslaved like all the Marvel heroes. I love that Meek. Yeah, <laughs> whose name is Meek. M I E K. I was like, when I would read the comics, I always said Meek because that's what I thought was I thought it was pronounced Meek. I love that Meek is like. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, you're going to have a baby. He, th- he felt like the Hulk turned his back on, on like, the I don't even think Meek knows. <laughs> well, yeah, in the Hulk movie version. In the movie. But I would still. Like, oh, you're not did. <laughs> oh, you're not did. <laughs> did. Maybe he did what? <laughs> <laughs> maybe yeah, did what? Yeah, what did he maybe do? <laughs> <laughs> he maybe did. All right, this fly with Concords. This is yeah. not Marvel I've, now. We've gone. We've done. We've done a thing. This is a crossover episode. Uh, All right. So anyway. But hey, we got a Patreon. Couple goals. Oh, yeah. Tell your friends, family. Housekeeping. <laughs> housekeeping. Uh, we're on all the social media. A couple goals with S&M. Feel free to share our Facebook posts or Instagram posts. 
help us get out there. We we really appreciate it. And big thanks to our our patrons who are financially supporting the show. Much love to you guys. We'll be making uh, a new episode and video for you this week. Yep, we're doing that this week. And the new video will be up this week as well. If you want to see that, I definitely recommend bumping up to the $10 tier because this one will be this one will be really good. It'll be actually one of our patrons, Matt, is making this video pop possible. Yeah. So thank you so much, Matt. And then um, also thank you to our sponsor, Zenny Optical. ZennyOptical.com. Empowering, I don't know, people. Sorry, Zenny. Men, men, children. Yeah, people. People with small budgets especially, which is, that's where we fit in. <laughs> wow, that is not part of the copy. All right, thanks, <laughs> Hey, man, there's nothing wrong with, with saying your product is inexpensive. It's affordable. Yeah, that's inexpensive. Affordable. It's affordable. Is that better? Yes, oh, okay. that is the copy. I, I don't see All right. inexpensive, by the way. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.